All right, everybody, welcome back to the Jay Walker Show at the request of Justin. <laughs> um, today is a real special day because, you know, history, um, I'm sitting here with former U.S. Senator Doug Jones. Thanks for coming on, Senator. Hey, Jay, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So off the back, how's all this Trump stuff got you going? As I know it got you all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, you know, I've been pretty busy. Uh, a lot of media call between being a former United States attorney and former U.S. senator, yes. you get uh, a lot of different perspectives with uh, the Trump indictments. Four indictments. I mean, it's really stunning yeah. What we're seeing play out uh, right now, and it's even more stunning that uh, he seems to continue to rise in the polls, uh, at yeah. least within the Republican uh, primary. But that's you know that that's just kind of the world we're living in today. Do you do you think he's going to jail? Well, I don't know that. You know, I, I, I am one. I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense lawyer. So I'm always one to make sure people understand that you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. He's not been proven guilty yet. Yeah. Uh, the evidence is, is pretty damning if you just consider it on its face. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be up to a jury. And none of this evidence has been tested by good lawyers yet. Yeah. And it will be. So we'll see how it goes. It's, it's going to be a long road for him. I don't think he really fully appreciates how difficult a road uh, it is for any criminal defendant in this country. So can you tell me about uh, your journey into politics <laughs> and what made you decide, I want to be a U.S. senator? Well, it, it really goes way back. I mean, I've had an interest in the political process ever since I was a kid. You know, and I worked in a number of campaigns over the years when I was younger, involved in the Young Democrats uh, when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and in 1979, I worked, uh, 1978 actually, I worked uh, with Senator Howell Heflin. Yeah. He was a former chief justice, ran for the U.S. Senate the first time. And then I was on his staff for a year and just really caught the bug about the U.S. Senate. I just loved the institution, uh, followed it over the years, worked in his campaigns over the years worked in other Senate campaigns, helping raise money and doing some things. And I, you know, uh, th just thought at some point, maybe the time would be right that I might want to do this. And in 2017, when the special election came up, kids were either uh, out of the nest, they were in college or on their own. And it was, uh, it was time to give people a voice that I don't think it had a voice uh, in Alabama in a long time. And we were really fortunate with the way it worked. But uh, it was a great experience. Wow. So what motivated you to run for public office? You know, look, I think going back to my work with Heflin, working as an, a, as, a, as U.S. attorney, yeah. um, I really was able to see that public service can really do good things for people. That's what it's about. People forget. They, 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 politician has a bad connotation to it. Mm. And I try not to use that. Everyone that gets elected to office, everyone that gets appointed to office is a public servant. And you've and you really you got to serve the public, and it's got to be about the public's best interest, and and it can be for good, uh, not just an ego trip, as so many I think public officials use their offices. It's really a, it's really for good, and uh, I, I, that got instilled in me early on, mm -hmm. and when the time ro uh, came up, uh, we grabbed it. Wow! So during your time as senator, what were some key? Um key issues that you focus on? There were, there were a number of issues that we tried to focus on in the time that I was there. Healthcare 
was and still is a huge issue in Alabama. Alabama is one of only about 14 states now that has not expanded Medicaid. We've got well over 300,000 people in this state who cannot get health insurance. And and they're working. I mean, you know, we've got a a low unemployment rate and they're working, but they just don't pay and they just don't make enough to get good health care through their employer, maybe not offered, they can't afford it, or they make a little bit too much to be um, eligible for Medicaid. So that's a real problem. So we really, I was on the Health Education Labor uh, Pension Committee, known as the HELP Committee. So health care and the delivery of health care and the disparities in health care, particularly women. Yeah. We have such maternal uh, health care problems in this in this state, particularly black women have increased health care issues um, when it comes to pregnancies. So that was one thing. And I was on the Armed Services Committee. Uh, Alabama has a huge military presence yeah. uh, in this state from, you know, the Wiregrass on up to Huntsville. And um, being able to work with the Armed Services Committee, with our various armed services and the Secretary of Defense, that was a big thing to try to get more resources and more assets uh, into this state because it is a huge part of Alabama's economy. And that that's a couple of things. HBCUs, we worked in on the education yeah. space, trying to help HBCUs a lot too. Wow. So can you describe to me a challenging legislative situation? How did you find common ground with it? Well, it's not easy these days. Um, it was, it was for me, it, I came in under such unique circumstances um, that at least for the first year or two before I got in what they call into cycle, running for re-election, um, I had a number of people on both sides of the aisle that, that would work with me on various things. We would come, you know, we had a great staff uh, uh, during my time there, and they worked with other staff to say when there was an, a, a bill that was uh, pending, when there was something going on that you wanted to work with, you know, a lot of times you will see senators um, pair up. One Republican, one Democrat. And that's what we tried to do in all of our work. And I got, uh, I was fortunate to be called by a number of my colleagues, Republican colleagues, to try to co-sponsor legislation mm-hmm. and working with them. I mean, we ended up, I think I ended up sp- co-sponsoring, you know, two or three hundred bills. Um, now, that's not the lead co- a, a lead sponsor, but a co-sponsorship. And the staff works on those. Not all of those get, uh, obviously, get into law. Yeah. Um, some w- got put into uh, what they call a must-pass bill, the Appropriations Committee or the National Defense Authorization Com- uh, Bill, those kind of things. Um, we had a number that did get in, but it was really I was really fortunate that I was able to work with people on both sides of the aisle. Wow. So you, um, <laughs> you prosecuted the guys for this bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. So what was that process like? It was remarkable. Uh, to say the least. Uh, 60 years ago this year, we've got a lot of of fascinating things happening in Birmingham marking that anniversary, including the memorial uh, on September 15th in which uh, the keynote speaker is Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. Yeah, it's going to be a really major, major event for Birmingham and for the church and the life of the church. Um, You know, 
Jay, I was in law school here in Birmingham in 1977, a young second-year law student, when the first of those cases, I was only nine when the bomb exploded, uh, but in 1977, Attorney General Bill Baxley prosecuted the first case, and I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer, mm-hmm. and so I cut classes and went and watched that trial, <laughs> sat in the balcony as a you know 24-year-old kid watching that, and you could see how important that case was mm-hmm. to the people of the city, to the, to the victims' families, and the community, never dreaming that 24 years later as United States attorney, I would have that opportunity. The case got reopened right before I became U.S. attorney, but we really set our mind to trying to do everything we could. You know, back in the day, so many people felt like the FBI didn't fully pursue the case. Yeah. J. Edgar Hoover's got a really bad reputation right now. He was not pro-civil rights, but he really did put the effort in, and he put the resources in, and we built on that. You just can't always solve these cases, and the Klan really kind of clammed up, and you couldn't get all the evidence. But we set our mind to it. We were very fortunate. Things just turned out just right for us, and we had two cases, and we convicted both Tommy Blanton and Bobby Frank Cherry. Uh, both of whom died in prison uh, for the murder of those four little girls. Wow. So we see the Emmett Till story. So are we getting a a story about that, the prosecution case? Well, you know, there's a book. I do have a book out called Bending Toward Justice, uh, the church bombing that changed the course of civil rights. Uh, I don't know whether it'll ever make it to the big screen. (laughs) Um, I think you'll see more about that story this year. It's going to get a lot of publicity with Justice Jackson coming for the memorial. 60th is doing that. In fact, ABC is is uh, came down here the other day. The the Good Morning America third hour mm-hmm. is doing a kind of a special uh, about the bombing uh, that morning. I think so. We'll see. So, how did you navigate um, to, across party lines to get stuff done to get bills passed? Up? Well, it, it, to me, it was pretty easy. Um, I I was not one to just throw bombs. Uh, political bombs like a lot of people do. I didn't get on the floor of the Senate to just throw bombs like a lot of people do. I tried to work with everybody. Uh, I tried to find common ground. Um, it, it would take a while in some instances. For instance, I did a, um, I was one of the main co-sponsors of a, mo- a money laundering revision. Wow. Um, that hadn't been done in decades. And that took literally almost the entire time I was in the Senate. Wow. Okay, to get that worked out between Republicans and Democrats and the interest. But if you work enough with somebody and you talk to people and you listen to their concerns, that's what we don't have enough of, I think, in politics today is listening. Um, And our staff did just really a remarkable job working with the other members of staff, I would talk to them in committees. I would talk to them on the floor. We'd hash out our, uh, or try to hash out our differences, <laughs> you know. And in most cases, we could. It was, it, it did, again, it's not always under the rules of the Senate, could not make it to the Senate floor for a vote. But at least we got it to a point that at some point, a lot of what we worked on when I was in the Senate, I think will get enacted into law in one form or another. It just takes a while. Wow. So can you share with me an example of a successful bipartisan uh, effort you were a part of that oh, lessons you? Absolutely. There's a, there's a couple of them. The, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the the one that I tell a lot that, that all of my, my Democratic friends give me a hard time about is um, the cold case civil rights bill. I had a bill that really pulled a lot of the FBI records and others uh, records of these cold civil rights cases, wow. like Emmett Till, unsolved cases, yeah. uh, like Emmett Till and others. 
uh, to the National Archives and appointing a commission mm. to kind of make those public. That commission's now been appointed. It was passed. It was signed into law. The, the guy I worked with the most on that was Ted Cruz wow. from Texas. Wow. Ted, I, I had in, introduced the bill um, with some kids uh, from New Jersey who actually helped write it, and it was their idea. And Ted heard the speech on the floor, came up to me and said, I'd really like to help. We got that bill passed. The other one that I'm really very, very proud of that was a bipartisan effort with um, Senator Lamar Alexander, Republican from Tennessee, Mm -hmm. now retired. We did two things. Um, uh, He was chairman of that HELP education, the HELP committee, the health education. And one thing that we did was we had a bill to simplify the FAFSA, the Federal Application for Student Loans. We simplified that down. I mean, it was a monster to deal with, and people were just not doing it. Alabama students were losing a ton of money, and we simplified that. And he was also my co-sponsor, worked with, along with now Vice President Kamala Harris, to um, get permanent funding and increased funding for HBCUs. And I was really very, very proud of that. We've got more HBCUs historically black colleges and universities in Alabama than any state in wow. the country. That's right. People don't realize that. Got, wow. I think it's like a 14 or something wow. like that. It's amazing. Wow. And we got permanent funding uh, and increased funding every year I was in the Senate. And that is, a, especially after COVID hit, that was a lifeline for uh, HBCUs. So I was very proud of the work we did with HBCUs. Do you talk to President Biden a lot? Not a lot. He's pretty busy. No. <laughs> um, you know, these days, I was fortunate enough to uh, have lunch up there with him not too long ago oh, okay. uh, at the White House, just me and him and a couple of other folks uh, down uh-huh. by the tennis courts. It was really kind of nice. but. Um, I communicate with people on his team a lot yeah. uh, about different issues going on, some with the campaign coming up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's um, it, I've known him for 40-something years. Wow. First met him when I was in law school, and we've been friends ever since. You know, he when I was sworn in, um, every senator— has someone to escort them, yeah, uh, a he, former he senator. Yeah. And he escorted me in that day. Senator Shelby and I uh, kind of got crosswise in our in our logistics there, and Senator Shelby didn't make it back up. So I asked uh, then former Vice President Biden uh, wow. to escort me in, and it was an incredible day. Wow. So how did, you, how did you stay connected with your constituents and ensure their voices were heard and your decisions? You know, um, that's another thing that I was incredibly proud of our staff. Uh, we had, we, there's five state offices. Wow. We had offices in Huntsville and Birmingham and Montgomery and Mobile. We had one that we put in Selma. There was a little office that we had down in, in Dothan. Um, and we had people manning those. And that's where the kind of the front lines for constituent services are. Um, people that would make direct contact. The folks in the staff would go out and visit with people. Mm-hmm. Um, they would get invited. We also get a lot of emails, you know, a ton of emails and letters, and we tried to answer every one of those somehow. We had a whole unit dedicated to correspondence um, in in the office, and a, a lot of those were just general answers. But every now and then, it would be something that we, we would do and get an invitation. Yeah. I traveled the state a lot trying to visit with people, you know, individuals, um, businesses, local governments, 
and local government officials, chambers of commerce, you name it. I was, I, I really traveled around a lot and I did a lot of, I did a lot of town halls. You're not seeing a lot of that happening right now, to be honest with you. I don't remember the last time, except for Terry Sewell. Terry does a lot of town yeah, halls, but I don't remember any other, uh, uh, currently, uh, anybody else doing any town halls. And we were all over the state doing town halls and invited people, not just supporters. I wanted folks that had questions about what I was doing in the Senate to come and ask me these, ask me questions, talk about it, because we learned an awful lot mm-hmm. from our constituents, not just of what they think and what they believe, but we learned about, uh, you know, dealing with certain issues and what was going on and what was important on the ground in Alabama. Wow. So what leadership skills do you think are crucial for a successful senator? How did you cultivate those? To me, the most important thing that a senator can do is listen. Um, You know, people who run for public office like to not listen. They like to talk. They like to think that they know everything. Well, I can tell you they sure as hell don't, okay? Okay. and and listening, I think, is the most important thing. And 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 my li- listening has a a component of understanding as well. You've got to go where people are, and 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 listen to them, get the facts and get the issues, but understand where they're coming from, their background, what is going on that causes them to ha- be passionate about an issue, yeah. or something. And and I think that's the most important thing because if you can do that. Then you can take that back, and that makes it easier to find common ground with other senators mm. and with particularly people on the other side of the aisle. If you don't listen to folks, you're only going to be doing those things that you think are important, which may or may not be the same things that are important to your, your state or your district. Wow. So what are your thoughts on the, on the current leadership of the Senate, United States Senate, uh, Tommy Tuberville? <laughs> I, I am very disappointed in what I'm seeing right now. Senator Tuberville is, I think, embarking on one of the most un-American crusades um, by blocking military nominations. He is objecting to a policy that is, um, you know, involving uh, women and their right to travel to seek an abortion if they're assigned to a, a, a state that doesn't provide that. And the Department of Defense has a, has a policy that would allow them time off and travel expenses, not paying for any, uh, uh, any services, but just allowing time off. And he is blocking military nominations. See, a lot of people don't realize this, Jay, but generals and what they call flag officers, their promotions have to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. That's in the Constitution. And a lot of people don't really fully appreciate that. And we've got so many people, and he's blocking all of them. Usually that is done in a bipartisan way by unanimous consent, meaning everybody agrees, let these nominations go forward. And he's not allowing that. And we're getting a backlog. And it is affecting national security. It's affecting morale. It's affecting our ability to both recruit and retain really good people, especially uh, women in our in our military. And it's just it's tragic what he's doing. Wow. 
So a couple of weeks ago, he was on Fox News, well, CNN, and he said the proud, I think he said the good boys wasn't racist. What, what are your thoughts on that? What's well, I, I, you know, look, he's had to back off of that because yeah. he's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, white nationalists are racist by very definition. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't the first time that he said something along those lines. Um, you know, sometimes I think folks just say things before they really think, think things it. through. Yeah. Uh, and for somebody especially representing uh, this uh, state that has the kind of racial history that we have. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs, but um, he thinks he's getting a lot of support for it. We'll see how it goes in three years. Wow. So what are some of the most important lessons you learned from your time as a senator that you believe are uh, accessible to individuals interested in public service? Well, I, I think you got to do, you, you've got to do it for the right reason. You've got to go into politics. You've got to go into public service for the right reason. And that's for other people, not you. Too many, I think too many people, especially I see a lot of younger folks who get really interested in politics and it's all, I want to be a senator. I want to be a governor. But they don't know what they want to do when they get there. They don't have that basis except for the office and the power and the prestige. And I tell people they should get involved in their communities get involved in, in things that they're passionate about and learn how important it is to be a public servant first and foremost. If you can be a public servant, you can be a good candidate and you can get that message across. And I think that's the most important thing, understanding that you are not there for yourself, you are there for others. And it, it is that servant's heart that I think most people need to be really good and effective leaders. Um, and quite frankly, I don't know if we're seeing enough of that right now, uh, as opposed to the just the egos of wanting to be in the Senate, wanting to be president, wanting to be um, a governor, wanting to be a certain office holder. Um, I, I want to see more and more public servants, more and more servants' hearts out there. Wow. So, sir, so serving as a senator can come with his own set of challenges. Everybody know that. So how did you deal with those challenges? Well, every day we had to deal with them somehow, some way. <laughs> I had a very good staff that helped me. Yeah. Uh, they could deflect some challenges uh, when it came with uh, certain areas uh, that we were dealt, dealing with, with legislation, um, sometimes with the president. When, when President Trump was in, I tried to uh, work with his office as much as we could. But I think you've got to have a combination. You've really got to have a good team. And the first and, and most important thing is you've got to recognize the challenge. You've got to understand what the challenge is and why. And if you can understand where it's coming from, that goes back to what we were talking about, about meeting people and understanding them and going where they are. If you can understand and the, the challenges and where they're coming from, you can best deal with them and you can and get people. Again, a good staff, you can delegate a lot of work, just basic routine work that can deal with as, a lot more challenges than people think. But it's because they know them and they understand them. Wow. So since leaving the office, what does Doug Jones do now? What, what do <laughs> That's a good question. I got people asking me that all the time, including my family. <laughs> um, 
you know, I've got a, I've, I've got a, a veritable buffet of things that I'm working on. Uh, you know, I'm affiliated with a law firm of Errant Fox Schiff in uh, Washington, um, doing some a, a lot of governmental relations work. We do strategies. I don't lobby. I'm not a registered lobbyist, but I do help with some strategy. I do help advise clients in a legal perspective, both domestically and internationally. Um, I've, I'm, I work, I'm a distinguished senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, mm-hmm. where we're working on democracy projects and, and racial equality projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still keeping my hand involved in politics, working to try to help um, fix the Democratic Party in Alabama, to try to help the Biden campaign, to try to help get some of my former colleagues reelected. So I have an awful lot going on that keeps me pretty busy. So... What is ne- what's next for Doug? Jones? <laughs> what, what do you, think is next? you know, I don't know what's next for for Doug Jones. We, we'll see. Um, I've been really blessed with my career, um, and I don't know what the next step will be. We'll we'll just see. You know, sometimes you just can't always plan. Doors yeah. are open, and if they open, you got to make a decision whether to step through them or wait for a different door. So I think some there's some more doors that's going to open down the road for me. And I'll just see what they are and whether or not I want to step through them and at some point start stepping back. <laughs> so let everybody know you can be reached on social media. Oh, yeah. I'm at, at Doug Jones on uh, <laughs> the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, uh, <laughs> X. That's that's where I do most of my thing. I'm on, you know, I'm on threads and I do a little bit of, I used to do a little bit of Instagram at Doug Jones Bama, but it's mainly through uh, Twitter and X that I do at, at Doug Jones. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank Thank you. you. It's been my pleasure. Jay Walker, so we out. 